Bibles, if you'd stand for the reading of the word, I, uh, I'm going to teach tonight if that's all right. If you would turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 57, and I'd like to, I'm just going to read two verses, and then if you would keep your Bibles open, we're going to see where we go in the remainder of this chapter. I'll quit when I feel the anointing tell me to stop. Is everybody there? Isaiah chapter 57, verse 1. The righteous man perishes, and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away, while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity, and he enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. Bishop, will you pray over the remainder of this service? Amen, and everybody can be seated. We went up Tuesday to um, honor the life of Brother Bob Sensing and be with Sister Dora and with the family um, and for his funeral. And um, I was sitting there with Bishop Hammonds. Wayne Hammonds was there, Bishop Wayne Hammonds, and he was he was talking to me and. And he actually quoted this scripture to me. He said, you know, he said that his, I believe it was his son-in-law, he was going through a hard time, and the Lord had given his son-in-law this, these two passages for Bishop Hammonds. And he was quoting them to me, and as he quoted me, I felt the Holy Ghost stir in my mind and my heart. And then today, as I was at work, the Lord began to deal with me, about this passage of scripture and so I want to begin to teach and surrender to the will of the Lord and have him educate us all and minister. Everybody alright with teaching on Wednesday? Might be a little bit of preaching. But I want to read one again. It says, The righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity, and he enters into peace, and they rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. What the Bible is saying here is that when a good man, a righteous man, a Christian man, an honorable man, a man who is just good, who's decent before the Lord and before his family and before his obligations on earth, that when he dies, it says no one lays it to heart. It means that there's not a lot of, of, I guess, digging into the reason of the death. There's no exploration behind hidden and secret meanings and trying to figure out why, God, why did this happen? That when the righteous men die, the earth you know, will, will look and say that was a good man and he lived good. And he's with the Lord now, bless God. Now what's for dinner? And I don't mean to be callous, 
I'm trying to make a point. That when the righteous men do what they're supposed to do, the mentality and mindset is that that man lived the way he should have lived. And he ran his race and finished his course. And it says, devout men are taken away while no one understands. No one understands. That means the mind, our understanding of, of why those that are good are taken. I, I have this, I brought this baton here today. And I'm not preaching about passing the anchor. That's not what this message is. But Bishop Gerald, well, Pastor Gerald from Spain, he came to More Life Tabernacle and he preached about the anchor. And he preached about passing the baton. And this is the baton that he preached with right here that he brought from Spain. And when he was done with the message, he approached me. And I was not yet pastor at the time. And he approached me. And he said, God sent me to preach the message to More Life Tabernacle because the baton will be passed to you soon. And no, but none of you know that. But he handed me this baton. And Brother Gerald was a good friend of mine. And I loved him dearly. And, and I, I didn't know him many years of my life, only the last several. But the time that I had with him, his spirit and my spirit connected. And in a way, there was a, a form of friendship, and if you would, even mentorship. And I sent my daughter in the Holy Ghost to be with them in the summer, and I didn't know why, and I still don't know the full reason why, but I am beginning to understand that God puts relationships together for His will. And I, I hold the baton, because the words that Pastor Gerald spoke to me came to pass. But if you know, and I'm sure you do, a couple months ago, Pastor Gerald was taken from this earth and went home. They ruled his death COVID-19. And nobody understands why God took such a good man. Had a wonderful, marvelous church. Had a wonderful, beautiful wife. An incredible son. We loved him dearly, but God took him. Brother Gerald wasn't out doing irrational things or living a dangerous lifestyle. He was a good man of God that was working in the church. He was laboring. He was being the shepherd God had called him to be. And God took him. And I don't know why. I am fulfilling what the scripture I'm teaching says. That when righteous men are taken, no one understands why except we say the will of God. But we understand that it's the will of God, but we don't understand why it was the will of God. We just understand that His ways are above our ways, and we trust in Him that it'll be all right. And I do trust in God that He'll take care of Brother Jonathan and Sister Zuli, and it'll, He'll take care of their church. I trust in God that God knew what He was doing. Because if that church still needed Brother Gerald, Brother Gerald would still be here today. But God's will said, I'm calling him home. God called a righteous man home, and it says that no one understands. The scripture is fulfilled. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity, and he enters into peace, and they rest in their beds who walk in their uprighteousness. What this is saying, believe it or not, our feelings, those of us that remain our earth, are secondary to the will of God sometimes. Bishop just preached 
If you, I wish you would have been there when, when he preached at the funeral and he talked about Jesus wept. And he was talking about how that God knew the end from the beginning. And God knew that he would raise Lazarus from the grave. But yet when he saw the tears and the hurt and the mourning spirit of Mary and Martha, that his spirit identified with theirs and, and had empathy for them and began to weep with them. Not because the end was going to change. There was still victory on its way. There was still deliverance on the way. But he wasn't above feeling what his children feel. He wasn't above compassion or beyond emotion. But his love caused him to weep. When good men are taken... We weep here, but the will of God is above that. But yet he understands what we go through. But sometimes our tears still do not alter the course that God has set in motion. And the scripture teaches that sometimes good men are taken. It's not just men. When I, it, the scripture says men, men and women, right? Are we all the same? Okay, good. That when good people are taken, sometimes it is to remove them from disasters that are in waiting in the future. The scripture says calamity. But there is very much times when God will remove people to avoid the dangers or the tragedy that is going to happen in earth that might drastically impact them and he will take a righteous man because he does not want that child of God to have to suffer or, God forbid, even get, get lost in the turmoil and wind up not making it. Is it beyond the goodness of God for him to save in a moment, in a minute, when he knows best, and yet we might suffer for a little while because they're taken from us, but glory to God, they went to heaven instead of going through the turmoil on earth and possibly being lost? This is a real thing. And God will sometimes remove men from this earth. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God and then was not. God said, you're coming with me. Elisha watched as Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind and there was a flaming chariot. God took Elijah from this earth. Moses, he took his body off the mountain. And sometimes God will take things out of our lives to protect them from what's going to be in the future. It is no stretch of teaching than to make an application. You know, hermeneutics, there's one interpretation, but many applications, right? The interpretation is as I just taught, but I'll, we're going to go into the applications. That there are many times within our lives that God will remove things from us to protect us. And not, we might not know why that certain friends leave our lifestyle and leave our relationships or leave our church or they just leave, leave our social structure. We don't know why people unfollow us online. We don't know why people... Well, maybe you do know. But we don't know why people block us or why they were offended. Or why people sometimes will respond. There's been times that people have responded and left my life and I'm like, what did I do? 
What did I ever do? And my wife knows I'll cry like a little kid and mourn and weep for a while. And then as time goes on, the truth is unveiled to my eyes and I say, thank God you cut him out of my life. Oh, the amen went down, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. You ever had a friend cut out of your life and you're like, a few years down, you're like, whoo, dodged a bullet there. Anybody? Sometimes we hang around the wrong crowd. And we're not strong enough or we're not mature enough or we're not wise enough to know that they're bad business for us. We can't even see that they're dragging us under or they're influencing us into a mindset in which we should not have. Sometimes they're Christians. And sometimes they're good Christians who have bad faith. And their bad faith will negatively impact our faith. You know, there's Christians who can do good things but speak badly. Which is more important, the thing somebody does or the faith that they walk in? If your faith is good, you cannot hide it. There will be good works. James said, I'll show you my faith by my works. But then there are people that seem to have good works. But their faith is bad, and if you hang around long enough, you'll, you'll witness the works not blossom, and the works will not bear fruit. But the problem is, sometimes if we hang around long enough to see it, we won't even see it, because we'll think no works is acceptable. Because we're blinded by deception. Is this too deep? Am I keeping this simple? Sometimes, God will remove things from our lives, and it hurts us when he does. And it can cause, it can cause us to second-guess things, and it can cause us sometimes to doubt. But he's not the author of fear and doubt. But our weakness in our flesh will cause us sometimes to doubt if we give in to it. And sometimes we will look for ghosts in the corner that don't exist. And we will look at smoke and mirrors and we will look at demons or voices that are lying to us. And the whole time, the devil had nothing to do with it. It was the scalpel of Jesus Christ cutting out cancer. Come on, somebody. We're teaching tonight. We had church on Sunday. We're teaching tonight. Can we still have church in teaching? Teachings when I feel like we're really growing. But that when things in your life are removed from you, do not let your knee-jerk reaction be to get mad and upset and blame your husband or wife. Or blame your son or daughter. Or blame your bishop or pastor. Or blame your teacher in school. Or your professor in college. Or your boss at work. When things are removed from your life, the first response we ought to say is, Lord, give me the understanding. Open my mind that I can understand. Teach me your ways, Lord. What is the will for my life? Why are these things removed? And it might not just be people. It might be some of your health. What? What do you mean? 
I mean, God's allowed some of my body parts to be yanked out by surgeons for my betterment. I had my gallbladder out. And so my good pal, Brother Eloy, likes to talk about phantom gallbladder pains. Oh, Josh, you're going you're gonna to feel them. You're going you're gonna to have those phantom pains. You're just going to be sitting there. Ah! And it's just a phantom gallbladder attack. He had me prepped. He taught me. I had my gallbladder out. And about three, four months later, I'm at work, and I'm like, oh, Brother Eloy's right. Having a phantom gallbladder attack, it's killing me. I'm just going to man up like he does. I'm not going to no hospital. So I kept working. Next day, I'm like, oh, man, that gallbladder. Whew. I mean, what gallbladder? It's already out. The third day, man. Wish I had a gallbladder. It'd probably feel better than this phantom gallbladder I'm not feeling, but I am feeling. The fourth day, got a little worse. The fifth day, I'm at work. And I'm kneeling down working in a pit on a water meter. And I'm in two feet of water. And I'm arced over a two-by-ten. And the two-by-ten, you know, is right in my gut. There's a reaching way out because I'm fat, people. I'm leaned over, and it's hurting. And I'm losing my breath. Not because I'm fat. Because of the pain. But really, if the pain wasn't there, I would have lost my breath because I was fat. But I'm growing with the phantom gallbladder in this story. I'm leaning over. And finally, I stand up, and I'm like, man, Brother Eloy, you're just, you're just a better man than me. You're stronger than me. You're, you're, you're tougher than me. Because I was, I, that was it. I'm like waving the white flag. I'm like, I'm going to go to the hospital. I can't do this phantom gallbladder attack anymore that he keeps telling me about. And so, you know, on day seven, I, you know, said, babe, I got to go into the hospital. You know, she's like, well, drive yourself. I'm like, okay. That's right. So I drove myself for the second time. Drove myself with the gallbladder. Drove myself again with it. Drove myself. Drove myself to the hospital. You know, what was it? One, one in the morning? Two in the morning? She had to get the kids ready for school. You know, this was Sunday night. This was after church, so, you know, she had to be the mom, so she would have taken me if she didn't have kids, maybe. <laughs> she had to get the kids on, so I said, well, babe, I'll, I'll drive myself in. You know, it's just a phantom gallbladder attack. Thanks. And I'm embarrassed, because anybody you don't want to go to the hospital because you know they're going to look at you and be like, what are you in here for? Anybody? Maybe, well, you had to have an intervention, apparently. So I get in the hospital, and then they, they run a test, and they're like, man, your, gall, your, your appendix is ruptured. It's burst. No phantom gallbladder attack going on. That's what good friends do to you. About put you in the grave. 
They're like, we got to take you into surgery. I'm like, all right, when we go And They're like, right now. And I'm like, what do you mean? And here come 10 nurses. And they're like, one of them, her job was to bring the phone, because there's no cell phones out, right? You know, the, old, the old kind with the 50-foot yawn cord. Here, call your wife. And I call, and I'm like, hey, babe, yeah, so it wasn't this phantom gallbladder attack thing. You know, uh, apparently my appendix has burst, and i got to have it out. She's like, when are you going? I'm like, well, bye, click. I figured she didn't want to drive me to the hospital. She'd just have to wait to see if I made it or not. Anybody else married? Yeah, you know. You know. She's always saying men are big babies when they're sick. I had a point to prove. I'd drive myself, even with a ruptured appendix. So I go in, and after the surgery, I come out, and she finally managed to get there. Finally going to support her husband. And the doc comes in and he's like, yeah, you're a miracle. I'm like, yeah? He's like, your appendix ruptured several days ago. Ruptured so long ago, it's already healing. Now I'm going to put it in what I heard, not actually what he said. You're so fat, though. That your fat gut formed a fat pouch around the appendix. <laughs> and when it burst, all the poisons and toxins in your body just sat there in that little fat pouch and saved your life. And I said, I'm always going to be fat now then. Yeah, Bishop said, no thanks to Eloy. You go ahead and lose that weight. I'm staying fat. Save my life. It's going to do it again. Now, if you're skinny and you're offended by this, don't judge me. You don't know me. Don't body shame me. I worked seven days... He estimated that it had ruptured on day one. So I went seven days with an appendix that burst, which if you remotely can Google anything, means death. Seven days. But apparently fat men have this superpower called a gut that protects us. Or the hand of the Lord. You know, God kept me. But do you know that God still let a part of, another part of my body be removed for my protection? They didn't say, oh, well, we'll just leave it in there. They, they still removed it. So I've had a gallbladder out, an appendix out. I've had two surgeries on my elbows. And Lord, that's enough. We're good. But every time I've had surgery on my body, it's to make me better. Because some part of me was injured or wounded, and it, it had to be fixed. I wasn't going to tell you. I feel to tell you my elbow surgeries now. Here we go again. 
Because somebody needs to, to connect it on a, a very realistic, humanistic approach. That my job required me to use a, a 20, no, it was 18 volt at that time. You guys are the 20 volt, lightweight, lithium sissies now. But in my day, it was the 18 volt tanks. And so I had this power drill day in and day out, and my forearms become very swollen all the time from working. And when, if you don't know how you build muscle, you tear muscle, and it, it, it builds. You tear fibers, and that's how men become, you know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, or steroids. <laughs> but I did it drug-free. It was just work. And so my muscles were constantly swelling from working, and the swelling restricts blood flow. And surprisingly, the blood is what heals you. There's a message in there somewhere. So because my arms constantly swelled up, the blood could not flow down through my fingers and back through my elbow properly, therefore my arms would never fully heal. And so what the surgeons did is drilled holes through my bones so that when my arms would swell and the blood would be restricted, that now the blood would have another path to travel through to heal me. That no matter how much stress or strain was put on the muscle, that nothing could stop the blood from healing me. And so, God had to drill through some hard surfaces in my body to let the blood move so that I could be, could be healed. So the analogy I'm trying to teach you in the Holy Ghost is that there's going to be some hard spots in your life that's going to have to be drilled through, that's going to be painful, it's going to hurt a little bit, it's not going to be pleasant a little bit, but the whole intent is God is trying to let His blood flow into the hardness of life and heal it. That sometimes with good people, things are removed so that we can be spared the hardship that awaits. And it's not punishment. It's not because you're bad. It's not because you've failed. It's not because you've messed up. That sometimes we suffer for His namesake. Sometimes He allows bad things to happen to us strictly so that He might be glorified. That's the Word of God. They said, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents? He said, neither sinned. But this man was born the way he was born, from his birth, that I might be glorified. Well, that's not fair. Fair, that's not in the Bible. Just is in the Bible. He's a just God. He does all things well. But fair has no vocabulary with God because it might not be fair to us, but he'll make up for it when we get there. And then we'll understand that it wasn't fair of him to give us more than we ever deserved. Do you know, I never want to say, God, give me what I deserve. Because if he gave me what I deserve, I would lose everything 
because I don't deserve nothing good. I don't deserve nothing holy or nothing righteous or nothing in the view or in the environment of God. I want everything from Him, what He's worthy of, what He's righteous of, what He's glorified in. Sometimes we go through some things because God is trying to remove something from us or remove us from something. And it says that no one understands it. So brother, sister, I want to teach you a very, very, I guess, un, I don't know the words. It's just not going to satisfy you. But you might go through something. And you might suffer loss or you might be removed from a situation. And your last breath here on earth, you may at that moment still not know why. You may go to your grave not knowing why you had to walk through certain valleys. Or why you had to climb certain mountains. Or why you had to sail certain seas. You might not know here on earth. But I am in faith when I say, the Bible says, that when you see him as he sees you, it says, then you shall know even as you're known. But while we are in ignorance and while we are kept apart, we are not to distrust him or doubt him or talk about him or throw our hands up and say, God, you don't understand. He does understand. And his understanding, it says, should pass ours. I know it doesn't bring closure. I know that sometimes it doesn't satisfy that we might not know everything that God knows. And if he chooses to have mercy and grace on us and tell us why and show us why, then glory to God. But should he choose to keep things hidden until the time to be revealed, then I say, Lord, I trust in you. Lord, you know best, and if I don't need to know now, then I don't need to know. And I'll wait upon you, God. I'll wait on you. So I don't know why Brother Gerald was taken, but I trust in him. And I trust that God used him while he's on earth. And I trust God will use him in the ages to come. I trust that he'll use all of his children in ages to come. Says that we shall rule as kings and priests. Man, you know, my notes, I actually went through the whole chapter. and and We're going to be here a while. No, if the musicians would come, we're going to, we did what we needed to do. Isaiah 28, 9 and 10, I want to read to these two verses. It says, to whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast. For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. What that means 
is when God begins to talk to His children and His people. That it'll be precept upon precept. Meaning it's going to be a truth built upon another truth. A revelation upon a revelation. A discovery upon a discovery. It means that when God grows and talks with man and woman, what He's saying to just bring it right down is it's one day at a time. That it's one moment after the next. That if we will remain faithful to Him, when we get to the other side of the valley, when we get to the other side of the mountain, that we'll understand that He was faithful the entire time, every step of the path. Every leg of the journey, He was there. And I don't know if, somebody need you, if, if somebody's here and you've been questioning why this is happening in my life and why did I go through this and why did I go through that. I would say, ask the Lord a couple times. And then I would just set it all in His hand and say, Lord, I'll wait on you. And in the meantime, I'm going to go on praising you. I'm going to go on worshiping you. Because if we hang on to the unknowns of loss, if we hang on to the unknowns of, of tragedy and toughness and hard times, if we hang on to that and are always trying to be like Sherlock Holmes and figure it out, it causes frustration. Because sometimes it's not a phantom gallbladder attack. Sometimes it's a ruptured appendix. And it's got to come out. So I guess the lesson is learned. Stop blaming the phantom. And go see the doctor. Stop blaming the devil. And start talking to Jesus. searching for a way to say that more plainly but I think I just hit, hit where it needed to be whatever it is whatever questions you have whatever answers it is that you need Jesus can teach you Jesus can minister to you he can talk to you he can bring his word to you but here's what I want you to do even if he doesn't do it right now you say, Lord, your grace is sufficient for me. Your grace is sufficient. I'm not going to backslide. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to turn another corner. I'm not going to run. I'm going to keep walking where you put me day after day. In your mercy, I trust. You feel that way? Lord, in your mercy. Do you trust in God's mercy? Do you trust in God's grace? Would you all stand? I know it, it's been a little bit of laughter, a little bit of teaching, a little bit of preaching, but it's been a whole lot of God. Some of you, you might not have liked my jokes. That's okay. God did. But maybe your neighbor liked my jokes and your neighbor needed to hear the jokes, but you needed the serious teaching. So we all got ministered to. 
I wonder if we couldn't come and minister before the Lord and say, Lord, there's been some things that I didn't understand what I went through. And Lord, I've asked you a dozen times. I've, asked you, I've been asking you for years why. God, I want you to know that you've heard my prayer. You heard it the first time. It's still a desire in my heart to know, but God, I'm going to trust in you. Lord, I'm not going to carry the frustration and the anxiety. I'm just going to say, Lord, if it's your will and in your time, speak to me. Until then, Lord, I worship you. Until then, I magnify you. Until then, God, I give you all my praise and all of my glory, God. Would you all come? Would you all find a place before the Lord? Lord, have your way tonight. Lord, you're amazing. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord.